we can't do a full recap, obviously, for we take another uh, quite a long time, another morning, just to do the recap of last week. But let's turn to Romans 5, please. We're going to read our opening uh, text of uh, scripture where we were last week. And then we'll just mention something and we'll go on from there this morning. Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's you and I this morning. That's those outside of Christ are under condemnation of God. We looked at it. That's the offense of Adam. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And that's you and I this morning in Christ, saved, justified, just as if we'd never sinned. And Christ was the obedient one. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, that is Christ again. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So remember last week that we extensively went into those four verses. But last week we looked at how it was, the disobedience was Adam was, had failed to listen when God had spoken. And the obedience of Christ was that he upheld the Father's word, the Father's will, and he kept the Father's commandments. And of course then he took our sin, the great imputation of of imputed righteousness to us because he died for us and we trust in him. He takes our sin, we take his righteousness. Glenn mentioned it around the table this morning. And we looked at grace, G-R-A-C-E. What is grace? And we, we thought of the acronym of, of G-R-A-C-E, which many would say, G, God's, our riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And that's good and that's nice, but it wasn't, doesn't give the full import of grace really to those who have never really understood it. Grace is also known as unmerited favor. Others would say it's unlimited favor. And that is to those whom the Father has given to his Son, obviously. But in this, we see that that is true and that is real and that is right and that's proper. But at the same time, Grace is further than that again. We looked at it last week. So we want to look at something else. In our reading this morning, we finished at verse 21. And that's where we finished last week. That sin hath reigned unto death. The idea here is that sin takes up a personality almost. And it reigns as a monarch over every human being. That all of us will pass through that veil should Christ tarry. And then it says that, so that grace, so, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. The gift of eternal life through Christ is that even though we might even go to the grave, yet we will be with Christ, which is far better. And we will be 
saved and we will be sealed. We are secure in Christ and we have eternal life in Christ. And when we talk about this grace, because none of us, we looked at the depravity of our nature. We looked at how, how dead in our trespasses we are. And we're going to look at more the state of, uh, of people, of our lives before Christ. Even if you grew up as a Christian, you're still a sinner. Notice, as chapter 6 opens up, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So are we to keep on sinning? And the idea here is we all sin, every one of us. We all let the Lord down at some place, point in time, whether it's in word, mind, or deed, whether it's in action, whatever we are, even in our very nature, we, we tend to let the Lord down. We gravitate downwards. What Paul is saying here, should we continue in an open course of sin? In other words, should we habitually sin just because of grace? Should we habitually, in an open course of sin, do as we like, do as we please? And the idea here, Paul says, so should we, because I'm talking about grace, because I'm talking about the blood of Christ and his sacrifice, uh, since we are declared righteous, does that mean we can live in this sin? And Paul gives us the answer. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The idea is that grace will abound over our sin. Grace goes way over our sin. Paul says, should we then live in that sin? And look at the first two. He says, God forbid. God forbid. The actual Greek text here would say, God forbid is a good rendering. But Paul emphasizes it, and it's, a, it's so emphasized that he would put it like this, never, ever let it be so said or done. So when people who are Christians continue in the same path, and listen, whatever that is, the Spirit can point, the Holy Spirit can point it out to you. I don't need to. And all of our lives, should we continue like that? Should we continue to disobey God, God's commandments and God's word? Should we live a, a life where we, we lo- the lust of the flesh, the, or even the pride of life, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life? Should we continue like that? Uh, 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 walk in an open course of sin saying, sure, the blood has cleansed me, grace abounds over it, so I'm all right. And Paul says, God forbid. Never ever let it be so said or done. In other words, we are to be victors over these things. It could be uh, uh, victors over our even very moods and temperaments. It could be uh, we, we, we need to, because we, we are to uh, grow in, in grace and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithful, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. And we, we should strive for those in our lives. And when we are not in those, that's why we need grace. We're sinning. We're sinning. So Paul says, no, we're, we're to do, not that we're doing for salvation, it's because we are saved by grace. But Paul says, because we're saved by grace, should we say then it's all right to live like this? He says, never ever let it be so said. God forbid, that's the way it goes. God forbid you would do that, that I would do that. In fact, if you want to give it uh, the, the Ulster language, it would be, get away of that way. 
would you get away with that way? That's the way it reads. Not in Ulster. In the other way. Should we continue and sin? Get away with that way. That's the way it would read. In an Ulster Scott dialect. Notice here. How shall we that are dead. Notice the word dead to sin. Live any longer therein. If we are dead to those things. And we are alive in Christ. How can we then live in that open habitual course of sin? That's what Paul's saying. How can we do that? Will you turn with me uh, for a moment, please, to the book of Ephesians? Book of Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what Paul starts off here with. He starts with the deadness he starts with uh, the necros, that is, the, the deadness of the spirit toward God, the deadness of the spirit of man toward God, of woman toward God. Notice what he says, and you, that is you and I, that is the believers in Ephesus he's writing to, and you hath he quickened. The word hath he quickened are in italics in your King James Bible, but they are, they are there for the help of our English rendering. But they're, they're, they're fine to be there because when we read down the text, we know that Paul is actually speaking of the Holy Spirit of the Lord. So notice what he's saying. And you, that is you and I, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. That is, you and I were dead. Necros. In the spirit toward God, that's who you were. That's who I was, dead. We sinned and we didn't care. We sinned and we gave God no thought. Or maybe we did give God a thought and sinned anyway because we were dead to him. And he was dead to us in that sense. The word quickened, and you have he quickened here, is the word zoipoio. And it means to reanimate. To reanimate. Now remember Romans 5. I know this is more like a Bible study this morning, so bear with me. Remember Romans 5, where we, it says, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Well, the disobedient was Adam. His disobedience was that he failed to listen. Remember when God was speaking and hence he sinned in that of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam's sin became our sin. Adam's, if you want, germs became our germs. I'll show you that in a moment. Well, here, since we are of Adam's race, from Adam's loins, as it were, we are come down the line. Now, take note of this. Adam was cast out of the garden. Spiritually, he died toward God. Then physical death came and that's what we all have until Christ comes to change our mortal bodies. So Adam is separate from God. Here a new hath he quickened in verse 1 of, of Ephesians 2 is you hath he zoipoio. It means you hath he, he has made a life. You were dead in Adam. You were dead because of Adam. You're dead with Adam's sin. He says, you're dead to God in your spirit. 
but he has quickened you. Re, notice the word re, R-E, reanimated you. So let me put it like this. Adam was in the cool of the day with the Lord, talking with the Lord, and the Lord walked through the garden with Adam. Adam of all the trees, the garden they missed, freely eat thereof. But the tree that is in the midst of the garden, that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam was hearing amiss. He failed to listen when God had spoken, and hence he sinned. And what happened? That came to all of us. And he died spiritually toward God. He was animated and speaking with God. He was animated in speaking with God. So we all died in Adam. In Romans 5, we've read it. And now in Christ, when he comes and we put our faith in Christ, he, what does he do? He has regenerated our spirit to behold his sacrifice and to see our sin. His spirit regenerates us. In other words, now that we are saved and washed in the blood and sealed by the spirit, we find that here, we find that the, the, the quickening happened to bring us to Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Spirit quickens us and we are saved and we are reanimated in Christ. In other words, we are alive unto God. That's why whenever you feel, you feel it. That's why when you go wrong, think wrong, do wrong, speak wrong, act wrong, do whatever wrong, you're convicted of it because you're reanimated to God. So you get the you get a book, plain pages, and you draw a wee stick man. Isn't that right? You draw the stick man. And the next page, you maybe draw the stick man, and he's one foot forward. That way. And the next one, he's from there, he's to here. Next thing, he's from here. The next page, and the next page, it's all static. That's how we were toward God. We were walking in our flesh, but dead to God. But you take that and you flick all the pages. It's animation. And that's how we are in our spirit toward God. That's how we are in our hearts toward God. Because God has, Zopoyo is God has reanimated us. God has made us alive again in Christ by his Holy Spirit. Now that's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Notice here. Notice verse 2. Paul brings us to who we were. He reminds us that sometimes it's good to give your testimony. Sometimes it's good to give your testimony maybe in a church or a a mission or wherever, but sometimes it's good to give the devil your testimony. And it's good to rehearse your own testimony to yourself. Because it it, it starts to show you and you start to get a fresh fresh infilling, if you want, of, of what God has done for you. You start, your heart starts to beat again because you're, we tend to forget. And even though he's forgotten our sins, as we testify of where he's brought us from, even though we were dead and we're in the mire, he came down and he saved us. That's grace. In verse 2 he says, we're in time past. In other words, he's speaking about your past. 
Paul's saying, look, if you want to see grace, here's your past. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. In other words, the word according is the word kata, gives the idea of a dominance, a pressing down, that the world, uh, it, it was domineering your life. The world domineered my life. The world doesn't domineer my life anymore. The world is going to hell on a handcart at the minute. But it doesn't domineer my life because I'm saved. I'm in a different plane than that. I walk a different road than that. And so should you, Christian. Notice here, according to the course of this world, according, there's the word again, to the prince of the power of the air. Now, if you come out tonight, I'm going to talk about the war between two angel armies. Fall of Satan. I'm going to talk about it's what it's doing in society and the world today, the, the influences that's, that's there. I'm going to talk about the, the final ends of all of this. That's tonight, 6 o'clock, in case you didn't know. would love to see you. Notice this. According to the prince of the power of the air, that is, that is the old devil himself. Notice, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's what we are seeing everywhere. And we were part of that. In fact, the word disobedience there is something similar, similar to Adam, but it gives the idea who are impersuasible. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you talk to them. It doesn't matter how much you look into their eyeballs, eyeball to eyeball. You could shout at them. You could shake them. You could slap them. Don't do that, like, but you could slap them a couple of times around the face to waken them up. But it won't because they're dead. Because they're dead. You were dead and I was dead. What happened? The Holy Spirit came and reanimated us to walk with God. Made us alive in Christ. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle it is. Our conversation in times past. Notice, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Of the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That I was a child of wrath. You were a child of wrath. The word wrath here is fusus. Do you know what it means? It means, uh, pardon me, the nature is the word fusus. Wrath is upon the fusus. And the idea is we were by nature. We were by fusus. And it gives the idea we were by Adam's lineal descent, children of wrath. We were by lineal descent. It gives the idea of germination. We received Adam's germs of sin and death. We were dead to God. We were in the world, in the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air and all that. That's how dead we were. And what did we do? We lived it in. We lived it up. We lived in it. And the thing was, we couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't rescue ourselves. 
We do none of it. We were, we were dead. We had no thought of it. And the thought starts to come when the Spirit enters our heart. And as I said last week, you can only lay hold on sovereign grace when sovereign grace lays hold on you. Sovereign grace must grip the heart of a man and a woman before they can say, yes, I'm saved by sovereign grace and glorify God for it. Why? Because you're dead. Spiritually dead in sin and in our trespasses. And so we find here in verse 3, we have the nature of Adam. We're under wrath, even as the word were. The word is, pardon me, in verse 4, but God... This is grace. I'm going to bring you somewhere in a moment, but God, this is grace. This is who we were. I showed you last week with all that. This is, I'm trying to show you our, our very nature. Sinning does not make you a sinner. You understand that, don't you? When you sin, that doesn't make you a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. The root of it all is the nature of the man and woman. And so we sin. One is the root, the rest is the fruit. And since Paul, Peter tells us we have, we have taken on the, the divine nature of Christ, that is that we, he lives in us and we are alive unto God. And since Peter tells us that, it's the same word, we take, as it were, now the descent of royal blood. Because Christ has died for us and saved us, and he lives in us. And so now our lineal descent of death has gone, and we have a great lineal ascent in Christ. That's grace. That's grace. But God... Thank the Lord for the butts of the Bible. But God, Ken was lost. Ken was a sinner. Ken was deep dyed in the womb. Ken was in the Word. Ken was up to no good. Ken was like this, that, and the other. And I don't want to go on to it all over again. But Ken was, was, and was, and dead, and trespasses, and in sins. Ken was under the, the dominance and the, uh, the power and the pressure of, of the prince of the power of the world, of the earth, and of the spirit of disobedience. Ken was under all of this. Ken, was, Ken ha, has a, a, a ruling reigning, had a ruling reigning monarch called Sin, and that sin is bringing forth death. He sits, as it were, in his Bastilio, in his high place uh, as, a, as a ruler and a king over my life. But since Christ has come in, then I am more than a conqueror through him that loved us, and so are you. But God, you're lost, but God, hellbound, but God, you're on the broad road to destruction, but God. But God is rich in mercy. You feel it, don't you? If you know him and love him, you feel it, don't you? God who is rich in mercy. It means God who in the whole sphere of his mercy was rich toward us. So when, when we mention grace, grace is... is Unmerited favor. Grace is when we do not 
receive that which... No, it's not. That's mercy. <laughs> Hold on. Grace is to receive that which we do not deserve. <laughs> we didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. We didn't deserve to be taken off a broad road and put on a narrow way. We didn't deserve to, to have God living in our hearts. We didn't deserve to have the word of God. We didn't deserve to, to be heading towards glory in heaven and home. We didn't deserve it. But grace came. But God. Mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve, we deserved hell in the broad road. We deserved judgment. We deserved all of it because of our nature. People might say, well, I didn't really do nothing. You did. <laughs> but you did. We all did. We were all lost. Every one of us. And maybe some sins are more manifest in someone's life than others. But God looketh on the heart. God looks in the heart. And sometimes you can be wearing the nicest Sunday clothes. And you can be smelling your best with your aftershave and your perfume. But God knows the heart. He knows the heart. That's why we need grace. We do not get that which we do deserve in mercy. We deserved all of that and God didn't give us it. But in grace, he came and he gave us that which we do not deserve, his son. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he have loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Notice, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in hev- together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, the, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Notice, we're saved by grace. Here's the exceeding riches of his grace. Notice, the exceeding riches of his grace. Notice, and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Oh, the God you serve is hard. God you serve is strict. God you serve is, he's not nice. and You just don't know him if you think that of him. See, the God I serve, he's lovely. He's beautiful. See, the God I serve, he's gracious. And he's good. And he's compassionate. He's gentle. He's faithful. God I serve. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. There's none like him. There's none like him. Imagine in the ages to come, he'll show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Think about that. I could live in that for the rest of my time on earth. The riches of his grace and his kindness toward me. The riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. You could just 
relax in that, couldn't you? Rest in that. You could just cry in that. Weep over it. Because of him. Remember when the Lord gave the parable of the talents and then he came back, uh, or the pounds, and one was buried and the man with a napkin and he, he says, I knew that thou worst wast an austere man. You're hard, he said in the parable to the master and meaning the Lord. I knew you were a hard man. You were austere. You know, you're hard to work for. <laughs> no. My savior, not hard to work for. But he's everything to live for. And those who truly know him, I mean, truly know him, I'm not talking about a religious experience of him. I'm talking about a living, walking, talking, breathing experience of Christ. A Christ encounter. And all who do know him in such a way will say, Lord, thank you. What did you ever see in me? Why would you ever want me? But then realize of his exceeding grace and his kindness toward you and praise him for it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Notice, not of works. We're not saved by our churchianity. We're not saved by putting our faith, our trust in a denomination or a christening when a baby. We're not saved by any such modes or means or methods. We're saved by the grace of God because Christ has died for us. For by grace are you saved through faith in it, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any Man should boast. To say, there not be not there won't be one of us, not one of us, this man too, who will be before God on that day and will say, Lord, I'm here because of X, Y, Z. I'm here because of what I have done. I'm here because, well, I was confirmed into whether it's an Anglican church or whether it's a Roman Catholic church or I was christened into a Presbyterian church or, or, or whatever it may be. No. Lord, I'm here because you love me and you gave your son for me and he shed his blood for me. I'm here by your grace. It's grace. It's grace. Of all people in here, I could say that I was the chiefest of sinners. I don't know every life, but I could, I could say no in my own life that I was the chiefest of sinners. But I know this, brothers and sisters, he's seen past it and he forgave me of it. He made me his child. He's done the same with you. Grace is mentioned. 
going around this up soon because I've so much material there and I haven't touched this morning's material yet. I just read there and thought I'll just go with it. In theology, you have terms like sovereign grace. Absolutely. Praise God for it. Sovereign grace. You see, when God is sovereign, uh, or sorry, when we, we, when we say God is sovereign, God's always sovereign. But when we say God is sovereign, it means that God is over all things at all times. That, that God is the, the creator, the maker, the keeper, the sustainer of the heavens and the earth and all things that are therein. When we say that God is sovereign, we say that there is none None can even stand against him and that he will do all things after the counsel of his own will because he's God. Completely God, just full stop. That's it in a nutshell. There's common grace and common grace is, the Dutch reformers used to call it general grace. For wonder why some people are really ungodly in their lifestyle and yet they seem to be doing really well. Maybe a child of God, you don't have what they have. <laughs> That's a wrong way to look at things, you know that. Because they don't have what you have. The possessions and the riches of this world will fade and you can't take it with you for there's no pockets in a shroud. Can't take it with you. But he who is in you will be with you. Neither to leave you nor forsake you. Common grace or general grace is when the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Common grace is the same uh, food that you eat because it was grown by the farmers in the field. The same food you eat, they eat. So they partake of this common grace, saved and unsaved alike. That God is gracious and kind to all in the sense of common grace or general grace. But then we have saving grace which we as believers have all uh, come to know and receive when we have been saved by the grace of God. Saving grace may be termed even as irresistible grace. When we fought with God and wrestled with God and, and his grace would not leave us alone, it was irresistible to draw us to Christ. We have terms like uh, prevailing grace when it prevails because when we are in our flesh as we are, we, we do fail. Not in an open course of sin to walk therein, that grace may abound, but we do fail. And prevailing grace is really that grace that prevails. And it's not a, grace is not a license to sin, but it's an, an empowerment and an endowment to, to carry on and go on in God. Prevailing grace is whenever we think God's finished with me. God's done with me. I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. Maybe you've sinned and you keep on sinning. You keep bringing that to the cross till you get overcoming power of it, over it. God is not done with you. If you're his child, you're in his hand. He's not done with you. John tells us, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of who? Jesus Christ, his son, 
What does it do? What does it do to you? John's writing to believers there. Do you know that? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from how much sin? Bring it to the cross. Claim the blood. And the abounding and measurable grace of God will allow you to go on in Christ. Here's what, something if you're taking notes. How do we keep going when some of us struggle so much? Well then maybe I'm doing that. No, you're not. I'm struggling every day or I've struggled for a season or a period of time. No, you're not. You see, the, the perseverance of the saints... That's you persevering. The perseverance of the saints is the preservation of the Holy Ghost in you. The perseverance of the saints is the preservation of the Holy Ghost in you. And it is a prevailing grace of Christ toward you. So you can go on. When we repent, he forgives us of our sins. Let me close up with this because I'll maybe do part three next week. I want to look at the first mention of grace next week, maybe God willing. The last mention in the Bible of grace, the Hebrew word, and what does it mean? And in a life, a world, a society of Noah's day, the depravity of it, and there's grace. And the ascended, resurrected Christ and his revelation to John and Patmos mentions grace be with you. That's until the coming again of Christ. I think we'll always be in grace. Let me mention this, Galatians 5, and that's us done. Galatians 5, please. Let your eye run down to Let's just go from verse 1 for a moment. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Speaking of the works of circumcision, the works of the flesh. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. In other words, what he's saying here is if you're going to go by the law for salvation, then you need to keep the whole law. Not just the circumcision. Look at me. Oh, look, I'm a Judaizer. I'm a Jew here. Look, I'm thy great. Works of the flesh, he says, no. Then keep the whole law, which man cannot keep. That he is a debtor to the whole law. Notice, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, when you and I see someone and they've been walking with the Lord and they have fallen, maybe even backslidden, whatever way you want to put it, but they are in a place where someone might say, 
Or maybe they were in a position and they sinned and that lofty position they fell down and lost position or whatever and they've maybe come back into the, the church again you know, oh there's your man, there's your woman, you know, they were like this and they done that and this is who they were but they're fallen from grace. Oh I've seen him or her and they're on the drink during the weekend and all and there, there they are, look at them in here this morning, they're fallen from grace. That's not what that means. Although that may be true if you want in a sense. That's not what that means. Fall from grace means is when you and I try to replace the grace of God with the works of our hands. Falling from grace is when you and I uh, were to be here at a circumcision, think that we can be saved uh, and Christ has died for us and we can be saved without the, uh, the, the blood of Christ or even adding to, you see, it's in your and my nature to feel we must do something to be saved. What did a lamb sheds his blood, has his blood shed? The, the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ died and that's enough, yeah, yeah. For your salvation, yes. For your forgiveness, yes. For your cleansing, yes. You, you saying that's enough, yes. And then you walk in his commandments and ways. They're written on your heart. And so we think, well, they're fallen from grace if they've sinned or whatever. I, I understand and maybe that's a point, but it's not what it means. Someone has fallen from grace when they think they have to make it up to God and they try to do something to get God's favor. God's favor is on his people because he chooses to favor them. Simple. Not because of who you are. Is, he, does God, is God pleased when his people are walking right before him? Absolutely, as you would as a parent, as your children were going on well and doing good, yes. But does that mean he stops loving you? Absolutely not, if you do wrong. But God may bring you into the woodshed and chastise you until you surrender yourself back to him because he loves you. So falling from grace is not that. Fall from grace is when you and I try to apply works to what Christ has done. We try to, well, I must have to do. If I had a pound coin for every person that I've spoken to over the years who thinks they have to do, get themselves right in order to be saved, and then, or then I'll come to God. I'll put my ducks in a row, as they would say. I want to get my life right. I want to do this right. I, I, I'll stop this, that, and the other, and clean up my act. And then I'll come to God. Then No, no, you, you, you come repentant of your sin, and he cleans you up. He cleans you up. See, we always think we have something to do. You know what it is? It gives us glory, you see then we think we have something to glory in. We think that we are some pop, eh? I done that. I done it. Oh, I, I, and I was great. I, I, was, I, was, I was out preaching all the time. I, I, I was great, like, Lord, I was fantastic. Yeah, there's a calling. We must serve in our calling. But it's our reasonable service to where God has placed us to do and be. The Lord loves you this morning. 
The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. And he loves you not because of you. He loves you in spite of you. He loves you because he chose to. And that's grace. And that's grace. God bless you this morning. Bless his word to all of our hearts. Time to come up, please.